0: Hello and welcome to our special Q&A episode. So in this one, I've got a fantastic question from Laura, who's actually weighing up some really difficult choices in a challenging project and she needs some help choosing a way forward. I think this is gonna be super helpful. Uh, for anyone who is really struggling with what feel like really big decisions to be able to then make their next step in their building or renovation project. And uh, I'm going to share some strategies and tactics that I think can really help you get some clarity around what might be the best way forward. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. Now, we're going to get to those questions and answers really soon, but first, I want to let you know about something that I think will be super helpful to many of you. This episode is brought to you by my free online workshop, Five Ways to Get It Right in Your Home Design. Look, with all the ideas and the inspiration and whoever you're working with or whether you're designing your home yourself, it can be super hard to design and then commit to a floor plan and have certainty and know confidently that it's going to create the home that you dream of. As an architect with 25 years of industry experience and having designed hundreds and hundreds of homes for homeowners like you, I know that there are key elements to every successful design and that there are specific characteristics that ensure a home will suit you now and always. In this free online workshop, I share tips, ideas, strategies, things to avoid things to get right to really help you know how to get it right in your home design. And this free online workshop, it's available to watch now at a time convenient to you. So just head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash five ways. And that's the number five ways, W-A-Y-S. And that link will be in the resources as well. Now let's get on with the episode. I have a question from Laura and because it's an involved question, I wanted to give it An involved response. You know this is a situation that many homeowners find themselves in and whilst the option that Laura is specifically weighing up may not be relevant to your own situation people are often weighing up really big choices and you know having some tactics that you can use to make a decision and be able to move forward I think will be really helpful. Because when it comes to our homes, we're usually talking big money. We're talk- sometimes talking big debt, uh, big consequences, decisions that can last for years, and having really big ramifications on our lifestyle, our financial health, our emotional and our mental well-being. And those impacts can be short-term, and they can be long-term as well. So I want to share with you Laura's question, and I want to congratulate Laura. Actually, I want to congratulate all of you who, you know, uploaded questions. I didn't get to answer all of them. I cherry picked out the ones that I thought would be helpful to most of the UA community but I can't tell you how grateful I am that you guys had the courage to record your questions and reach out uh, because it's been an amazing way for me to be able to provide answers and be able to help not only the people who ask questions individually, but hopefully also help many of you in the UA community. And so I think Laura's question is going to be particularly relevant for a lot of you. I'm really grateful that she went into so much detail about her specific situation, because I think that it gives us really good ground to work with about the kinds of things that we can do to find our way out of that situation. and in this uh, answer I do share some personal stuff about decisions that you know m- my husband and I we've we've had to grapple with and make about sort of our next move property wise or our next move uh, location wise. So you know I did want to share that sort of insight from our own experience, our own decision making as well. so hopefully you find that helpful. Let's dive in. Hi Amelia.
1: My name is Laura. I live in Perth in Western Australia. Firstly, I just want to say thanks so much for your podcast. I've gotten a heap of great information and ideas um, from it. And I guess we've got a bit of a situation where we would really love your um, advice or just thoughts um, on best ways to move forward. So we bought our house six years ago um, in Perth right before – the market crashed so we bought in a high point um, it's since crashed hence we have no equity in our home we also bought our home sight unseen um, which sounds crazy but it was actually built by my husband's pop in 1949 and we always used to drive past the outside and um, we kind of thought how bad can it be inside well let's just say it needs a lot of love attention and money <laughs> spent on it. Um, so we're at the point now after getting married, having our children, where we would like to do some updates to the house. Um, it's It really needs work. It's, it's full of asbestos. Um, it's tiny, uh, lots of things going on. Um, and the first thing we actually wanted to do was pop in a new kitchen so I recently did your kitchen design challenge, which was awesome. Um, however, just to get our room to the point where we can put in a new kitchen, uh, the quotes I was getting, I was just blown away. And I just thought this is the start of a very long and difficult process. And so we're just sort of weighing up, you know, considering we don't have equity in the home Um do we just do these renovations tiny bit by bit? It's honestly, you know, I know how much work and money it's going to take. I can, yeah, I'm pretty realistic about that. Um, However, we do love our home. We love our block. We love our suburb. Um, There is the option to actually build um, because we have a wide frontage, build new next to our existing house and then knock down. Um, However, we're in a bushfire prone area as well. So those costs need to be taken into consideration and I feel we would actually overcapitalise a little bit. I'm not sure but I, all I know is we that would be a, quite a few years away to be able to, to do that. And option number three is what the my husband is sort of pushing for and that's to actually just sell and cut our losses Um In doing that, though, we would have to move back in with his parents, um, which is fine. They're amazing. But obviously, we're in our 30s. We have three kids. It's not really the ideal situation. But we would have to do that in order to save for a deposit for a new home because I feel we would probably actually take a loss on this home just considering how the market's gone. Um, so those are our three options at the moment and I have gone round in circles so many times about what the best course of action <clears throat> for our family would be and I know that you can't answer that for us um, but I would just really appreciate your thoughts on this and um, any advice you might have for us. Thanks, Amelia.
0: Bye. Well, wow, Laura, that's a lot to be juggling, and I can see why it's causing you to go around in unrounded circles. Plus, feel really super stressful given the state of the market, the financial position, you know, the level of investment as well, and all the onflow impacts of that. And you won't be alone. There'll be lots of people who'll be juggling this type of situation. It may not be that perhaps the market's crashed, it might be that they just don't have access to the funds that they need and the house isn't worth much more than what they bought it for and, you know, all of those types of things. So there's lots of people in this situation trying to juggle the realities of the financial side with, I suppose, their love and emotional connection and to the home and their, you know, kind of what options they might have available to them in terms of the choices they can make next. So I'm just gonna recap. So you've got a house that you bought before the housing market slumped in Perth and there's no equity in it at the moment. It requires a lot of work. You bought it outside unseen. I've seen lots of people do that. So don't bet yourself up about that but you know and sometimes people they'll still see it and but the lack of due diligence that they do they may as well have bought it sight unseen but it's got you know your home's got asbestos it's small it needs work and from the sounds of things you're not in a position to fund work from other means except to do it in small chunks or to wait until perhaps you have saved more cash or perhaps got pay rise work-wise or the property prices go up and you've got better equity in the home itself so you're considering obviously three options. One is to do work to the home bit by bit in small projects, fixing what you can in smaller chunks. Second option is to build beside the home and knock down the existing house, but you'd have to obviously wait for that. There's potential bushfire in, uh, ratings and construction requirements and you know costs overall. And then the third alternative is to sell the property, to move in with your in-laws and to save cash in order to be able to purchase a home down the track. So, but you did say you love your home, you love your block and you love the suburb where you live. So I think there's also some other scenarios that may, you may not be considering and they may confuse the issue, but you know, I say these obviously not knowing the details of your local area or the real estate market or your family situation in depth. And Big disclaimer, okay, before I jump into any of this, please anyone that's listening know that I am not a financial advisor. I do not know your personal situation. All my suggestions are just thoughts and musings based on my own experience. So please do your own due diligence before you act on any of the things that you hear here, okay? But some other options that might be available to you. So, um, you could put the house up for rent. You could move in with your in-laws, you could put the house up for the, for rent uh, and if the rent covers the mortgage then uh, you may be able to still save some money and then move in with some cash to then be able to do I suppose a better renovation to it six or twelve months down the track uh, and obviously then have the house, you know, might have gone up in equity in that time and, you know, you're you're covering the debt that you have on it with the rent that you have. Now, obviously that re- relies on it, the rent covering the mortgage, um, but sometimes it doesn't take kind of a all or nothing approach. Sometimes there's a middle ground. Now, you could sell the home and you could move out of the area to a lower cost suburb or even a lower cost region. Now, this is far more drastic. Uh, it may have obviously employment implications. It may have, you know, closeness to family, all of those kinds of implications. But this is an option, and it's an option that a lot of people don't consider um, because they have got very attached to where they live and they're obviously the kind of setup of perhaps proximity to work, proximity to schools, proximity to family those kinds of things but you know it's one of the reasons that my husband and I we moved from Sydney to Brisbane uh, because we just knew that to try and get into the market in Sydney at the time that we were living there was going to be very difficult for us and so that's what we knew we needed to do to get ahead I've you know I've heard of lots of people making choices to move to regional areas uh, because they knew it would set them up better financially so you know, there is the option. You could move out of this area um, and move to, you know, completely different location where financially you might be in a better position. This, I think that this is the thing when we think about what options are available to us, we probably potentially don't put them all on the table because we can get too close to a situation or we can feel very attached to specific criteria and things happening in our life. But sometimes getting to a helicopter view and weighing up all of the choices And by all means, I'm probably not laying out all of the choices, um, but just throwing in a few extra into the mix. Uh, Sometimes that can actually help us get clarity on the ones that are right in front of us. Now, uh, another option is if the block is large, you may be able to subdivide it. And uh, you did mention that you love your block, but you know, this is the thing. If there's financial constraints, sometimes this can be an option and you can subdivide it and sell off the land, which can then fund... The project that you want to do on the existing house. So, and it may not be that you're splitting it right down the middle, you know, based on what your town planning enables you to do, you may be able to keep a fair amount of land around you and split off a block that's not going to impact considerably what you're doing. Sometimes people do that and they actually sell blocks uh, that have. Um, and exist, you know, they'll put, they'll go through the process of a lower cost option of getting a, an approval or a design done for the block to show how that block could be used, and making it very straightforward for somebody to buy and do that home. That then helps them manage the risk of what a purchaser might do on that block. So, you know, there's those kinds of options as well. It may also be possible to instead of spending money on the you know, the house itself, perhaps you can build a smaller studio or a granny flat or, you know, some sort of little prefab, um, a building that could be that you could Airbnb or you could rent out to a long-term tenant and you can have it as some extra income for now and that can be something that then is an asset to the site doesn't need to be necessarily rented out long-term but could just be something to help you get over a hump and yes there's the investment of building the item the building now um, but sometimes there you know there are low cost ways of doing that and obviously it depends what access you've got to funds some people can do the feasibility and make that stack. So... Um, that can obviously be an option and then lastly another option is that you can sell and you can rent and you cannot look at moving in with the in-laws you cannot look at buying property again straight away you can put the funds that you get from selling the house you know if you do have any you know plus that comes out of it after you've paid off the mortgage into another type of investment and I do see a lots of people doing this when the real estate market is particularly ta- challenging for them. They put their money into other markets in order to see growth. They rent um, so that they can live in the area that they want to with a regular outgoing cost. They're not responsible then for the costs of maintaining the property, you know, those bigger costs uh, and they can just basically manage a budget and then put any savings that they've got into other types of investments uh, to then be able to buy or build a property down the track. Okay, so there's just some other ideas. And um, of course, you know, lots of other people listening to this podcast may find those other options helpful to sort of think about if you are weighing up this type of decision for your own project and home. Now, let's have a look at your three options. So I feel that the best way to make any decision about the various things that you might be weighing up for your property is to actually get realistic costs on each of the options. If you were sitting in a development business, you know, sitting in a commercial business, you'd be running proper feasibilities on each of these in order to make an informed decision. And what we can do as homeowners is we can get really caught up in our emotional attachment to the existing house we might be in or perhaps the area we want to buy in or the implications of moving in with family or something like that. And we can load it with a whole heap of stuff that just colours our ability to make the decision. But if we can just you know that it's not that we're dismissing those those factors because they do that emotional part does play a part but getting some realistic figures some black and white sort of metrics around the things that we're weighing up can just give some clarity um, and help prioritize what might be the best choice next so for example, the first one, if you're going to look at doing the house up bit by bit, okay? So you mentioned that the kitchen's a priority so and that obviously pricing the project, you got big prices coming back. But it'd be interesting to see, does it have to be a big project could you just do a cosmetic renovation and that be sufficient for you you know or is the big prices that you got back are they actually realistic prices are they the kitchen that you want are they the kitchen the kind of kitchen that would help you live in the house happily for the next 10 years you know just add it to the schedule get a good handle on it see what that amount of money is see what a less intrusive kind of cosmetic reno of the kitchen might be and see how that cost compares now get some prices on the projects that you do want to do. So, you know, there's most older homes that are small and require some work. It might be that you need a new roof. It might be that you need some general maintenance around the place. You you know, removing the asbestos is, a, is something that you can get a quote against. Uh, you might want, you know, a new outdoor area, a covered alfresco area, Um, perhaps the bathroom needs or bathrooms need refurbishment. You might want to do some lighting or electrical upgrades. You might want to do paint inside or paint outside you know, sometimes there's just these bundles of smaller projects that if you sort of just wrote them down in a list and said, okay, for us to be in the house happily for the next 10 to 15 years, these are the things that the house needs in order to be comfortable, to be uh, sustainable, to not cause us headaches with maintenance and to improve our lifestyle. So it may not be as significant as adding on a great big extension. It may be, and I'll talk a bit more about this uh, later in my answer, but it may be that just a fantastic outdoor covered area could really lift your experience of the home and, and a you know a new kitchen. So really sort of looking at, okay, in an ideal world, we'd like to do these types of things to this home uh, in a base level to be comfortable for the next decade. This is what we would do and get some prices around that. Just so you've got some realistic information to look at what it looks like to do the house up bit by bit. Okay. Now um, I would recommend that if it's you know if you're looking at your overall living budget then look at how feasible it is to be doing these projects over the next 10 to 15 you know 5 to 10 years based on the budget that you have available working with smaller trades you know some of these projects you obviously are not going to need any um, you know depending on your council area but you often won't need any council approval you might not even need any building approval so some of these things are just maintenance projects that you can get somebody in to do quite simply so it's a case of really sort of seeing the feasibility and the funding of it i would recommend that if you're relying on a dramatic increase in the equity in the property in order to fund these things then it may not be feasible within that time frame it's just a case of being realistic, getting an understanding of the budgeting and the forecasting and what it looks like to be able to fund these things from your current sort of lifestyle budget and from, you know, if you are relying on borrowing against equity in the home. I would also recommend speaking to an agent, a real estate agent. So just getting them in to, and I'll talk a bit more about this because this feeds into the other options as well, but you know, Understanding what projects are actually going to improve the value of the property um, and what won't. So you can get their insights on values in the area, on what other people have done in the area and get a good handle on what is meaningful in terms of improving the uh, value of the property. Now, my personal preference is that it's always good to do small projects, small projects that are manageable rather than to upheave your life totally, um, especially if you love where you live. And I'll talk more about small improvements uh, in a little bit. But yeah, I think that we can overestimate what we need to do in order to change the quality of our life in our homes. And uh, sometimes small improvements can be perfectly sufficient to dramatically transform the experience of our homes and our lifestyle. Now, the second option that you had was building next door. That's a big leap. It's an alternative, of course, but again, I would suggest pricing it up. Even if what all you're doing is looking at a local project home builder that could do a house that could fit in the space that you have available, that kind of delivers the metrics that you need in terms of number of bedrooms, you know, size of living space, kind of configuration, suitability for orientation on the site, meets the bushfire requirements for your area, get that base price and then, you know, double it and you've got a range. Okay. You'll have a range for the kind of amount that you'll be looking at to build a home. Now that may sound pretty extreme, but I kind of feel like you're batting at the edges at the moment. And anybody who's sort of weighing up these options and will have been kind of chewing on it for some time you can often get caught up in the overwhelm of it all and kind of this the just the magnitude of the options and so working out the nitty-gritty of it at least with some kind of range of price is just so much more powerful for having information and education around what's going to be the best choice. So do the sums, look at the prices, look at how, you know, sort of what the I suppose the the scope would be to build a A suitable home on that amount of land that you have beside the house. You need to also price up the demolition of the existing house and making good the landscape and those kinds of things. Get an understanding for that. Chatting to some builders in your area is going to be worthwhile. Um, You know, just getting a feel for what that might cost. And then doing the sums and the budget realistically to see how far away it's going to be to wait to have the funds to do that. Again, if you're relying on an uptake in the, you know, uplift in the equity in the property in order to fund it. If it's a case of, you know, again, you can factor in chatting to the agent about, okay, what are new homes worth in this area? A brand new, newly built, you know, home on this size block what's it worth because obviously you'd potentially then if you had the income available you'd be borrowing against that future value of the property not necessarily its current value so your borrowing capacity might change based on your income level so and your ability to obviously fund that extra borrowing capacity so you know there's those kinds of things so just looking and cost comparing okay this would be the level of investment but this would be the end value how would that compare to where we're at now now and then think about, okay, look at the timelines, look at how you're going to fund it, See, you know, realistically. Are you going to be waiting 15 years to be able to do that? Can you wait that long? You know, how feasible is it? Is it five years away? Is it, you know, 15 years away? Just really trying to get some realism around these options is going to be helpful. Um, and it's it may feel like it's not that realistic. <laughs> you know, you may feel like you're, again, batting in the dark corners, but it's going to be better than just going, okay, this is an option, but we don't really know what it's going to cost. So um, the third option was selling and living with the in-laws. So again, do some sums here. Okay. Go to some open homes, have a look at properties that are similar to yours as they are now. See what Uh, see see what they're selling for see how quickly they're selling see if they're selling for what they're listed for or people are having to knock the prices down on them again conversations with local agents will be really handy here Um, seeing if people are doing any sort of spruce ups before they put a property like yours on the market perhaps they're putting a lick of paint through the inside they're doing some landscaping that kind of thing is that increasing the speed with which they sell or the price that they sell for you know conversations with agents Also go to local open homes of the type of home you would want to buy back into the market with and so that you can see what's that worth now? How does that compare as a percentage to the price of the property that you currently have now as it would be valued by an agent to sell now? Okay, so really sort of getting a handle on what amount are you going to be needing to buy back into the market with all things being equal right now because that's really all that you can do. You can't you know it's it's kind of a, a bit of a risky move because you may move sell now move into your in-laws and then the property you know need to be there for 12 months and the property market turn around and because the thing is that you're not buying in the market that you're selling and you're buying in a future market which may be worth more have increased and and be more challenging to get back into than the market that you're selling in you know that's a risk it's not something you can necessarily predict so all you can really do to compare apples with apples at the moment is look at what the house is worth that you would sell it for now and look at what you can buy now Um, or what you want to buy and how does that compare cost-wise and look at it as a percentage and see you know how that sort of works for you it's not it's not accurate it's not you know it's obviously not perfect but it's something now you're you need to look at how long you'll be staying in laws to save up the kind of deposit that you need be realistic about you know how much money you really be able to save are you going to be moving further away from work or further away from the kids school and that's going to up your fuel costs are you going to be you know are you going to be buying different kinds of food because your in-laws might eat differently are you going to be doing things to compensate you might not be paying rent but you're going to be doing things to compensate for the fact that they're putting a roof over your head so maybe your grocery bills goes up or how are you going to be paying for you know utility bills and those types of things so you know All of these things need to be factored into your budgeting so you know realistically how much you're going to be saving and how long it's going to take to save what you need to save. Now, your in-laws may be lovely and you as a family, you know, can all get along. But what I find happens for homeowners, I've dealt with lots of homeowners who've been in this situation where they've been fortunate that they have family members that they can move in with, that they can, um, that, they, that can help them get ahead. And I know that we personally benefited from this. We had some beautiful friends that when we renovated our third home, they had a two bedroom self-contained area underneath their house. And we, with our three kids, we moved in for initially it was planned to be six weeks while our house was raised and we were going to then move back into it to continue the renovation Um, but they said to us don't feel the rush to move back in you can stay here with us as long as you need to and so we changed the strategy and the order in which we did the renovation and we ended up staying for a year and there was my my kids were uh, all under the age of six by the time we moved out. And we were in two bedrooms in this space in underneath um, these beautiful friends of ours home. And we paid rent and we did some other things to um, to compensate for the, the uh, you know, I suppose to pay them back for the fact that they enabled us and helped us to live there and to be able to do what we were doing on our property so um, and renovate our property the way that we did and it was really interesting because um, it was a really you know I, I actually really enjoyed my time there and I found that the thing that I missed most was having a garden because we had three kids we could you know, we didn't have all of our belongings with us. We'd put a lot in storage. So it showed us how little we needed to live with to be comfortable. Um, my youngest actually slept in a, I think she was four months old when we moved in. So she was 16 months old when we moved out and uh, she slept in a put like in a cot in the bedroom that we, my husband and I were in. And then our other two had the other bedroom and we just, you know, lived very, very simply and had you know, they were just such a beautiful family that we stayed with. And so it worked well. But for some people, it can be really challenging because as a family, you're used to having your own space. You're used to living kind of your way. I've seen families, um, you know, they've moved in with their in-laws or with their parents and they've kind of forgotten of the particular habits that they had or perhaps they eat a certain type of food or they you know they have certain routines during the day and you and your family have got used to living differently and you have to kind of slot in with their way of being because you're in their home and that can be challenging that can be really testing over a long period of time so it's really it's really a case of being realistic about it. Um, and the budget and the time frame management is essential to maintaining your sanity around all of that. Everybody knows then what the end point is. Everybody's in agreement about it. I'm sure there were times where it totally frustrated the gorgeous people that we were staying with that they had three noisy children under the age of six living below them. They were, you know, an older couple um, whose daughter was living overseas and so they hadn't ever lived with small children. So, you know, I know that there were times probably that the noise level that we made um, possibly wasn't (laughs) that enjoyable for them, Um, but they were such gorgeous and accommodating people and so, so generous to us and we'll be forever grateful to them that they gave us that chance to get ahead on our renovation the way that we did. So um, now I think that, you know, hopefully that's given you some opportunity to, or some, some tools to be able to weigh up what those choices might actually look like and you know if anything I can can I please just encourage anybody who's trying to weigh up these kinds of priorities these kinds of choices these types of options for their project to get just some realistic data around what it actually looks like speaking to agents speaking to builders getting valuations for your current property seeing what other properties in the area the kinds of things that you you want to do or you want to by seeing what they actually cost, you know, in real money and looking at your personal family budget, looking at your personal spending, looking at the feasibility of you saving the cash that you want to save. What are the timeframes involved? How realistic is it? Sometimes, you know, it can mean that you actually have to make a really drastic choice. But I know from personal experience, you know, we've made some pretty drastic choices in order to kind of achieve the things that we wanted to achieve and they've just been... They've been good moves for us. So, um, you know, if it's been, it's I. It was eight years before my friends stopped asking me when we were moving back to Sydney because moving to Brisbane when we moved to Brisbane just seemed such a strange thing to do. People weren't really, you know, it was sort of to move out of Sydney was just such a big move. I was born and bred in Sydney, lived there until my late 20s, and it just seemed like a really big drastic move to move to Brisbane. But we just knew personally that to get ahead financially, that's what we needed to do. And it was a really great move for us because it then kind of set up our life in the way that we have it now. So... Um, and I've seen others make big choices like that. They've moved from Sydney to the Southern Highlands, or they've moved from Sydney down to around near Wollongong because they just couldn't, they just couldn't financially get ahead. And they've commuted for a while, and then they found work locally. And so they've dealt with kind of some challenges for the first couple of years. Um, you know, had a lower mortgage, um, maybe had a longer commute, uh, but then found a local job or started a local business. That's then meant that they could. Be in a smaller community living more um, i suppose you know more regionally and then having being better off financially and they've been really happy others have done it temporarily to then be able to buy back into the market that they wanted to buy back into and um, you see a lot of growth in those regional areas that mean that perhaps the equity would grow in the property faster than in some different areas where it might be more challenged so it you know sometimes thinking out of the box can be helpful but In any situation, I would just encourage you that to sift and filter through those really emotionally loaded decisions where you've got strong senses of attachment to home, to area, to suburb, to land, to locality, that to get some black and white data and money kind of numbers around those decisions is the best way to get some clarity around what might be the best choice moving forward. You know, my personal kind of choice in all of this, when I first heard the question, Um, my, my kind of gut reaction was, well, why wouldn't you do the property up little by little when you love it, when you love the home, when you love the location, you love the land, you know, the house has to be super terrible for me to then not look at what opportunities there are to do it up small you know small bit by small bit and as i said i often think that we overestimate what's required to make our home great homes great places to live in and we've got very used to the big big homes that we see on tv and in display villages and we forget that we all grew up in much smaller homes our parents grew up in even smaller homes our grandparents grew up in even smaller homes than that you know so kitchen renovations they can be a big job if you're planning on gutting and redoing a whole kitchen completely you can often find that you're triggering then the need for structural work opening up walls perhaps you're going to make good flooring you're going to be making good walls and ceilings you're going to move things around need to remove power plumbing you know cutting walls in external cutting openings in external walls which then can have implications on materials and structure and those types of things and so It's not just about the kitchen itself in terms of the joinery and the appliances, benchtop, fixtures, splashbacks, but it's going to be all of that structural work and that can mean that they're big jobs that need a lot more people involved or need to be run by a builder and then have town planning or approval implications. So, you know, that can can just snowball into a much bigger expenditure. But it might be just that you just need to take a cosmetic approach, you know, and that that is sufficient for your kitchen to be – a functional and um, low-maintenance space that looks good and feels good and is easy to use and can buy you five, six, seven years until – you do the bigger project on it, so you know it might be that you're just replacing bench tops, or, or you know doing the cupboard fronts, or you're redoing the splashbacks, or um, you know putting new appliances in. Sometimes just replacing the appliances can do wonders for how a kitchen is to use. And you know I've watched my mum do this with loads and loads of properties that she's renovated, and she might do something as simple as she'll replace all the bench tops, but then she'll extend a section of the bench top out or return it on an L, so that you've got like a breakfast bar, and it's just a Supported on legs, it's open underneath, but you've got a place to eat in the kitchen that actually works. So, you know, bricky bars don't have to be at an island bench, they can be just in an extended area of bench that. That um, works well for you. Now, outdoor areas, uh, covered outdoor entertaining areas, they can be a massive improvement on a property. Sometimes they don't even need to be covered, you know, just getting some decent landscaping, which can be done yourself, you know, across the course of a few weekends. You can get some design input from an expert and then just execute yourself. Um, You know, perhaps it's not attached to the home, it's a freestanding pavilion in the garden. It's a covered area that then, you know, can be super simple, much more economical to build. It gives you a great place to live outside, you know, and you can get that working year round for you. That means there's not as much pressure on the main living area of your home, which might be compact and not great to entertain in. Um, You know, you can have a barbecue and an outdoor kitchen uh, working outside. That can mean that you're uh, internal kitchen doesn't take as much pressure as well so getting outside and making the outside spaces really usable can just do wonders for enlarging how a small home feels to live in and to uh, to have friends around you know I find that families who especially have young children where it's a time in your life where socializing means that you're getting together at somebody's house or you're at a park, and you, you know, the little ones need space to move around, um, but they, you know, they won't just sit quietly whilst you try and have a conversation with your adult friends. But you, they need to be able to do that safely, so and have space to do it and be able to be supervised whilst they're doing it. So, you know, that can mean that families that are living in homes that don't work or that are too small to entertain in or, you know, are unsafe because they, you know, have rickety stairs or everything, you know, is a level up from the garden. It can be really frustrating. I see I see young families living in homes like that. They don't like entertaining at home. And to catch up with a friend means either going to their place or meeting somewhere neutral in a park or something like that. And so it can be inconvenient, it can be stressful and, you know, uh when, when that's how you're socialising with people, that just adds a whole other layer of difficulty and frustration to how your home feels and functions. And so, you know, I see people with young families living in homes like that. They just don't entertain. And I remember this happening for us as well you know, we renovated homes for 12 years and all of my kids always had their birthday parties in a park because our house was a construction site. So, you know, that meant that we'd have to get there for hours before the park, before the party was scheduled so that we could nab a table, you know, set up decorations. You're packing eskies full of food and, you know, just it was just crazy and yes it kept all of the mess and people out of our homes but our homes were construction sites so it just wasn't feasible and it was an ordeal but it meant that just all the incidental catch-ups didn't necessarily occur so you know that that incidental socializing that helps you feel connected to the outside world connected to other adults you know unless we had friends invite us over which you know lots of our beautiful friends did because they knew the situation that we were in um or we would meet at a park and that's how we sort of stayed connected but you know if this is you and you're waiting to do the big extension that you can't see whether you'll ever be able to afford it uh, you know or you know you just can't see how it's going to be feasible but you're waiting to do that in order to get your social life back then perhaps consider what you could do with what you've got already you know perhaps it's that great outdoor area perhaps it's just as simple as a new set of you know double french doors or some you know opening up a glass sliding door on the back of your home so that you've got easy access into your garden. You know, it might be a new coat of paint internally or a cosmetic reno of your kitchen and your bathrooms. Perhaps it's a freshen up of your soft furnishings. Sometimes it can be as simple as, you know, some good cushions or, you know, a new dining table or something like that. Some new fix, some lighting fixtures, you know, updating those you know, they're all small spends and they can all be done little by little as small projects, but I guarantee you they'll totally transform the feeling of your home. And more importantly, your feeling in your home. And I've seen this happen time and time again. I've witnessed my mum do it. I've witnessed so many people do it. We're led to believe that the only worthwhile change to make in our lives is big change, you know, big dramatic change. But as with any area of your life, you know, getting fit, slowing down, decluttering, simplifying your life, eating better food, incremental small steps, they can be super powerful. They can also be easier to achieve. Uh, They can be more sustainable to financially fund and they can be significantly transformative for us and our families. So don't let go of the small changes. And, you know, I think that there's lots of scope here for what might be possible with bit-by-bit changes to a home, um, particularly with your house, Laura, really scoping it out and understanding what that might look like financially, how you could actually program that time-wise, what you're looking at in terms of funding that, and what that might mean for you and your family long-term, and how that compares to the cost of the other options that you're considering. So hopefully that's been helpful. That's been a, a long answer, but it's a question that I know lots of people will be weighing up in one kind of permutation or another. There'll be lots of other options being thrown around, but I did want to spend some time really sort of talking through, because it's these are the kinds of conversations I have with lots of homeowners who are at the beginning of their project and just paralysed do not know which way to move forward and so hopefully this has given you some tools and steps to take so that whatever the priorities are that you're weighing up you've now got a bit of a roadmap to think about how you're going to move forward and make the best decision for you. Well, I do hope that you found that helpful and perhaps it has some relevance to your project or, you know, these are questions that you've been grappling with as well. Now, for links and resources that I mentioned in the podcast, head to the show notes or head to this episode on the Undercover Architect website where you'll be able to access those links and resources. Now, be sure to check out my free online workshop, Five Ways to Get It Right in Your Home Design. There's some incredibly useful information for the design of your new home or renovation. Honestly, it's an hour of your life that could save you thousands Uh, in avoided mistakes, months of time in wasted effort and energy with consultants and ultimately help you immensely on the journey to the home that you're dreaming of. So you can watch it at your convenience by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash five ways. Now tune in next time as I answer more questions from the UA community. We've got some fantastic topics being discussed for all kinds of projects, locations, budgets and dilemmas. As always, a huge thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.